2: Live from the Table, the official podcast of New York's world-famous Comedy Cellar. Coming at you on Sirius XM 99, Raw Dog, and the Cast Podcast Network. This is Dan Natterman, host of Live from the Table. Co-host, I should say, because the other co-host is Noam Dorman, who's here. Noam, hello. Hi. Noam is the owner of the Comedy Cellar, as well as the Village Underground, as well as Comedy Cellar Vegas. The list goes... No, that's about about it. Uh, Periel Ashenbrand, our producer, is here. And our dear friend, comedy seller regular, John Joseph, as seen in the movie Small Cop 2 with Kevin James, he's been on The View Comedy Central, and he's here with us, a dear old friend. John Joseph, how do you do? I'm doing great, how are you guys? John, uh, I haven't seen you since lockdown, so it's good to see you. I I mean, I'm seeing a lot of people on these podcasts for the first time since lockdown.
3: When was the last time you were on stage?
2: Well, I've done some Zoom shows. The last time I was on stage was at a oh, real com- stage, yeah, real stage, Comedy Cellar, um, just before lockdown, March fifteenth or something like that. Yeah, I, I got I got March eighth. <laughs> uh, so you've been, you've been. I don't really miss it. I know a lot of comics say they miss it. I've been, I've been writing. I've been uh, reading. I, I have things to do. I uh, I could use a paycheck, but as yeah. far as being on stage, uh, it doesn't bother. me. That's the missing part. The, you know here's the thing with this whole
3: pandemic when i was on ships and i'd be in the middle of the ocean i have a hundred witnesses that said what did you say and i always say the same thing what i would give for just a few days home this road stuff is killing me so i got the few days home i just forgot in that
2: sentence to say and keep my income coming in. Well, you you can get uh, unemployment though, John. I assume you've uh, applied for that. I'm the nosy, but
3: when that 600 runs out, July 31st, a lot of entertainers
2: are going to be screwed. Everybody, well, they might they might renew it. I mean, if 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 we're still in this situation, I well, assume it's, that they'll extend Getting that. worse. Pardon? It's getting worse.
3: What's did getting you, worse? Did you did you see uh, what happened in uh,
2: like Florida and California? Just them alone, over 12,000 new cases today. Well, I've read about new cases, but I've also read that there's less hospitalizations and mortalities. Because they're getting younger kids. So what's happening is
3: the younger kids, they're going to bars in Florida, California. So they don't get so sick that they have to go to the hospital. They go home to their mother and father and kill them.
2: Well, uh, we'll see. We'll see if they, hopefully that won't happen. But by the way, John, uh, you mentioned uh, cruise ships. I don't know if you know who our guest is tonight. He's coming at 7.30. Did you hear? No. Ted Lange. Does that name ring a bell? Ted Lange. Does not
3: ring a bell, but my bells are loose anyway.
2: Have you ever watched The Love Boat?
3: Yeah, of course. Oh, of course. I know Ted. I mean, I don't know Ted, but of course I know him from The Love Boat.
2: Yeah, he's the bartender on The Love Boat, and he's coming on. I thought it'd be fun to have uh, you on because... You are on cruises a lot of the time. And as we know, they're nothing like what you saw in the love, but we'll talk about that later. All right. Um, so we'll get to that when he comes, but I'm glad you know who he is. That would have been awful if you said, you know, I never saw the show. Let me ask you something. Wasn't he in that movie Towering Inferno too? What was he? He was in Towering Inferno? I don't know, you can ask him that when he comes. He might in. have been. Uh, everybody was in that movie, it was a cast of thousands. I don't know, he might have been. No, Noam, how you doing, you've been silent. I don't know, it looks like
1: you're- I, about, I had a, I just had a fight with my daughter, so I'm, I'm annoyed. Oh, what happened? I can't talk about it. But
2: you've come to the right place because John Joseph, and this is one of my talking points, is unique among comedians. I mean, we've hear, I don't want to get into the gory details, but we hear a lot about comedians that are, uh, shall we say, booty hounds, and that's been in the news this week. Oh. Uh, John Joseph is the opposite. John Joseph has been married to the same woman for 40 years or so, yeah. 35, 40 years, has two daughters that both adore him with whom he has a great relationship. It can be done, folks. And they love him and they don't hate, and they don't, um, yeah, they're, they're, and he encourages them and they love what you do. And it's, uh, it, one has to wonder what's really going on because it seems too good to be true.
3: It <laughs> is. It is too good to be true. My daughters are all having affairs. My wife is having an affair. I'm the only one that doesn't have affairs. It is too good to be true. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I love being home. I just, I mean, I would love nothing more than to do seven nights running down to the cellar and doing sets and coming home and never seeing another airplane again or hotel, ever. But that can't happen because you can't afford
2: it. Where are not- you? I'm on Long Island. yeah.
1: I'm not sure when the cellar is opening again.
2: Well, I just saw that. Uh, uh, I just saw on Instagram p- pictures of the cellar. Uh, the restaurant, the Olive Tree Cafe is open for outside. Right. I just saw. Right. The picture of
1: that. Today we open.
2: Well, here's the thing. They're going to
3: phase three. Yeah. Uh, I'm on phase three today in Long Island. And they said they're going to hit phase four by the end of July. But they're holding out exceptions for malls, theaters, and uh, spas, gymnasiums, whatever.
1: Uh, All spas are just, uh, yeah, spas, yeah. Massage parlors, spas, yeah. But they can't close longer
3: than August, past phase four. The only thing they might say is you can only have half a house.
0: Well, if the numbers keep going up, they're gonna have to roll it back, aren't they?
3: Well, the numbers in New York, are the lowest they've ever been. In fact, they're the lowest anywhere. Yeah. You know, I mean, two days ago, there was 10 deaths in all of New York State. Now, we don't want any. We don't even want one. But 10 is a lot better than what they're getting in Arizona and Alabama.
1: If I had to give out 10 every day. I think I could do a good job. But, but anyway, go ahead. You're right. We don't <laughs> <be> want <well> none. <laughs> I, I could distribute 10, I think. Did you do that? And, I, and I might do the world a lot of good, too. But uh, I guess, you know... <laughs> If it's we could, say you don't want any, I get it. We don't, we don't want any. We don't want any. <laughs> exactly. But we're really low, yeah.
4: which
3: is great. So there's no reason not to open. And today Cuomo quarantined anybody coming into New York from any state like Florida, Arizona, Utah, Alabama,
1: anybody who's not down to
3: 10% of their population.
1: Well, just as I, uh, uh, came on it, I just read it. Uh, over the last two weeks, cases have risen 84% in states that don't require masks and dropped by 25% in states that do. And listen, listeners of this podcast know uh, how much I love to be right about things. And boy, was I right. Did you say wear the well, mask all the time?
2: Well, no I'm sent,
1: no I'm it to it. Do you know Noam sent
2: me an email saying, you know, if everybody had just listened to me uh, yeah. from the beginning... We, we'd be in great shape. It does not surprise me. <laughs> uh, Noam has been uh, touting masks. Not that it's any great, I mean, it's not like you discovered something uh, com- you know, uh, completely out of left field, but Noam has been
1: touting wearing masks. And again, we, no, I don't think anyone disagreed with him. Well, no, but nice. I... Yes, people did disagree. They, they, they didn't understand how effective it would be. And, and I, un- I uncovered studies, I was doing research, long before you read about them in the news. I I was showing them to to people. I had a guy that that that, that charlatan Alex Berenson, on. Remember?
2: Mm-hmm. I, well, I don't know if I would call him a charlatan. Though. Oh, a lot of
1: what he okay. says is correct. Some of what he says may be incorrect. He's a charlatan because we talked about masks, and he he's like, "Oh, I don't know about that. Send me that stuff." Remember, he's like, "Send that. Send me that stuff." So I sent him all the stuff, and he never even responded. And his Twitter feed went on as if he never saw it. And he still, you know, so, I mean, I mean, he was nice, but. Um he seems to me that he's just not um well not I a, think he has a blind
2: spot as far as the masks are concerned for whatever reason. Everybody has their blind spots, and most people do.
1: That seems yeah. to be his.
0: You know, you're gonna make it hard for me to get guests if we call them charlatans on the show.
1: Oh come on. The guy the guy is really the guy's really too much. He, he's out there and uh, just saying whatever he wants and, and, and literally ignoring any data that he's that that, you know, that interferes with his, isn't, isn't that like everybody nowadays?
2: He sounds
0: like me, I was just gonna say.
1: He's got a lot of followers, and people, people you know, the, the reason I, I, I'm so bitter about it, because somebody like him was saying this stuff online, and people believe him, and then they go out and get sick and die. You know, this is not like uh, 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 some minor thing to, to be misleading people about. How did they get so political? As a, as a country? With the masks, the masks became a
2: political item. That's Trump's fault, I think. You -hmm. don't have to, that's an absolute 100%, but it's ridiculous. Well, everything seems to be divided on political lines. Questions that seem purely scientific somehow have become political, like global warming, uh, like almost everything associated with COVID. These should be just merely scientific inquiries. They've become uh, uh, left versus right issues. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, no, but we haven't gotten to, the, gotten to the bottom of why global warming has divided amongst uh, left and right. Why left is is far more apt to believe in global warming than the right. Why? No, I don't know. I mean, Noam had posed that question probably a couple of years ago, and I don't know if we've ever gotten to the bottom of it.
3: I don't know no. for the
2: same reason. Is Noam listening?
1: That, yeah, I'm listening. I'm trying to think what the answer is. I think. Well, I mean, I think the the left is um, uh, naturally more. Uh, so, Prone and more interested in, 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 environmental issues. And then the, the right is, uh, less interested in the environment. And of course, more concerned with economic growth and the government not telling you what you can and can't do. So it's kind of predisposed. And, and the right tends to be more skeptical of, um, doomsday scenarios like you know overpopulation and all that stuff and and you know up until now the right has been correct about those things but they were certainly wrong uh, about covid and they're probably wrong about global warming i don't know but now, but now it's morphed also into whether or not not so much about whether it's happening but there's a third thing is that is that whether or not um market solutions wouldn't just be the best thing to just kind of let it let it ride but I mean, both sides, you're right. They both sides have their blind spots. I mean, I'm pretty right wing, but I was very serious about COVID and masks. So I like to think that I don't fall for that stuff. The mask
3: thing is the only reason New York got this low. How people don't know that is beyond me. I mean, people aren't stupid. I don't care if it's Alabama, Arkansas. There's a lot of smart people in those places. They got to know better. You wear a mask. I used to think if I wore the mask, it protected me. But no, your mask protects
1: me. Yeah, well, my the, mask protects you in case we don't know if we have it. The N95 actually works in both ways, but yeah, you're right. I mean, if 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 both people wear masks and face coverings, the chances of catching it are very
2: very low. Well, I uh, I don't know if you noticed, uh, I just got a haircut because they opened haircutting on Monday, phase two. You look beautiful. Thank very you. Nice it, well, it's not a great haircut. The B team is out. You know, I mean, the, the A team is still quarantining. Whatever, but. Uh, I brought out the K95 or the N95 for that occasion. Normally I just wear a regular surgical mask, right. Right. but I have various, it's like a golf cart, you know, where you have the golfing, uh, you have the cutter and the, uh, the driver. So I got different masks for different occasions. I got your formal wear mask. I got your, you know, get your haircut mask. So I wore the K95 mask because I'm going into a barber shop. And meanwhile, the barber, I, the barber, he's not the barber, the hair cutter guy, his mask was below his nose. That's and mean, yes. which that's is not, you're supposed good. to be above your nose. Yes. Yeah, and, and I didn't say anything because I'm such a you know if I were a woman I would have been taken advantage of sexually so many times. I, I just I, I'm not assertive. I oh, should have no. said put the friggin' or we can say fucking. But I'd say put the thing over your nose. I didn't. I I was I was like I don't want to make trouble. Well, that's <laughs> the
3: thing. you want to sure. scream at someone that doesn't have their mask on, but it's going to start a riot these days. And it turns into a political riot. I mean, some of the things I've seen just going to the grocery store, it's ridiculous. I mean, people want to start a war. Guy's screaming, you can't make me wear my
2: mask. This is America. I don't have to wear a mask. Meanwhile, he's spitting on everyone he's yelling at. And meanwhile, if you're in my place of business, you've got to do what I tell you, whether, you know. What, well, what... That's the bottom line. Um,
1: did you guys follow Howard Stern's uh, thing where he got caught saying the N-word and the... Right, yeah. Um, well, I know he used to say it all the time back in the day.
2: That was a
3: while back, yeah.
2: Now, I'm worried because, full disclosure, and I've said it before, I've said on this show before, I've said the N-word. If I ever became famous, they, there is a... You know, we did a thing years ago called Comedy Covers uh, at, with, with um, I think, Pete Correale and Jim Brewer produced it at Caroline's. And it was you're supposed to do uh, other people's acts, like co- covers, cover songs, but with comedy. So they told, I believe it was that. Yeah, I didn't come up with this idea. They told me I should do the Chris Rock, black people versus mmm bit. And I did it. And at the time, I thought it was a little bit pushing it. But I figured, hey, I'm just, all I'm doing is saying a, a, a bit that's been said. I'm just quoting somebody else. That was a long time ago. Well, it was 10 years ago. Which is a long time for these types of things. So, yeah, I said the word on
1: stage. It's all right, Dan. It's all right. You know, but now, I mean, I'm not famous. Nobody gives a shit. But, you know. So Howard Stern got caught now, not just saying the word, but he's in full blackface. Did you see it? Oh, that I did see. I mean, saying the most outrageous things. But, um but it was a character. He was imitating Ted Danson. He was so, imitating Ted Danson. And so then in his, in his radio show, I didn't listen. There's no bigger Howard Stern fan than, than me. And, and maybe this is the way he had to play it or maybe he means it or I mean, maybe it's sincere, but uh, it bothered me. He kind of pled the fifth. Did you hear it? He's like, <clears throat> well, you know, when I was young, I was, I was just kind of crazy. I was out of my mind and I needed therapy Every day, every day of the week, to to get myself out of it, I would say anything. I I probably wouldn't. I mean, uh, no, I, I I wouldn't do that again today, as opposed to saying, listen, it was very deep satire. I was I was making fun of Ted Danson, and at the time, uh, everybody you know everybody understood that, and, and it was okay. Maybe it's not okay now, but it was okay then. I mean, my goodness, Ted Danson was <laughs> in blackface then, and he's not in trouble for it. And uh, because what I didn't like, I don't like this taking the kind of like in pleading, pleading insanity, especially because it implies, if he really means it, that, I mean, that's how he became famous, right? So would he trade in all the fame and fortune? If, if all the crazy stuff he used to do is because he was, needed therapy and he's so happy he got therapy, does he wish that he had therapy um, before he did all that stuff so then he would have maybe never gotten rich and famous as he did? Does he think he could have become as famous as he was without doing the crazy stuff? It's not as, and I don't think he did anything wrong by 1999 standards or whatever it was. He was, he was really reaming. He was tearing dead Ted Danson a new one. He was like, "You're full of shit." Just because Whoopi tells you you can say it doesn't mean you can say it. I kind of remember that. Jeez, so I'm getting... he was on the he was on the side of good and right in that satire, even though he was using the N word and and dressing blackface. His his intention was anti-racist I would say and so, I think yeah. I, I think the N-word back
2: then I mean a lot has changed with regard to the N-word you can't quote it now I believe 10 years ago on the news say if there was a story on the news couldn't a newscaster say so and so called so
1: and so a and use yes. the N Yeah I mean they, they use it on Saturday Live look they've gotten so crazy now okay so we just saw not long ago this this horrible video of George Floyd being murdered right and we saw it everywhere and then today so trump in the uh in his speech in in was it tulsa he he's joking around and he refers to the the COVID as as kong flu right because it's a chinese kung flu which is yeah it's a it's a i i don't like that i don't like that he said that it's not I, I wouldn't mind i don't think it's a terrible joke to say between us i mean i don't think i don't think it means any, anything like I mean, if it, was, if it was like an oy flu, we might say that too, if that somehow worked. But for the president to say it, I think it's, it's really pretty disgusting. But anyway, the news reports will not quote the slur. They say, and he, re, and he used a racist slur to refer, refer to the COVID. So they cannot repeat Kung flu, but they can show us the murder of George Floyd over and over and over, and over again. Well, they, they, I mean, they it's, take yeah. us Take them seriously, These, fucking i I can't tell you how i hate this this sanctimony the sanctimony of the media it's the news they should they should quote the n-word they should quote if somebody if somebody gets caught saying it they should be able to quote he got caught saying it and you know what if they find some new footage of auschwitz the camps they should show that too even though it's quite upsetting and quite disgusting and i don't see why the 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 Kung flu or the N word or Jews being killed in the camps or George Floyd's murder. I don't see how you distinguish between those things. They are all horrible things, which are true. And that is what the news is there to tell us about. Although it is is for me.
0: It is terrible to be, I mean, showing those kinds of videos of George Floyd over and over and over again. I mean, there is something really exploitative and pornographic about that's that. That's something
1: else. If, if you're right, it, it can overdo it too. When you, and and, that's, and that's, a, that's on the other side. But what I'm saying is that this filtering of things, they say, you can see this, you can see that, but this is too much for you. Kung flu we that week and 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 by the way when they say and the president used a racist term to describe the flu your mind wanders you know i mean how do you even know what you you, you you did he use a really derogatory term was it kung flu like you don't even know what to make of what he said so it's not how can you how can you call that reporting in the news i want to know what he said that i can decide how i feel about it not every single I mean, when he, when he said, what was the joke? Uh, oh, when he called Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas, um, that's not that different than Kung Fu. But Trevor Noah defended him for Pocahontas. If they had said he used a racist term to describe Elizabeth Warren, uh, what would that have left us with? And how do you know? And, and who was the news to decide for me that it's racist? Tell me what he said, and I'll decide whether I think it's racist or not. I'll decide if I think the joke is appropriate or not appropriate. That's not, I don't need ABC. To have, what, what do they have? They have some special code book that they, that they know that this is, this joke is racist. This joke is not. I mean, come on now. Or every, maybe every single, we tell Jewish jokes all the time. No, no. Every single Jewish joke is anti-Semitic. We tell Jewish jokes
3: because we're comics. They expect it from us. I don't think they expect that from the president of the United States.
1: No, of course not. But but uh, but Pocahontas, well, this is where it gets subtle, because when he called Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas, he wasn't making fun of Indians, of Native Americans, forgive me. He was making fun of Elizabeth Warren. He and was making fun of Elizabeth Warren and the little percentage
3: blood she may or may not have had yeah. of Indian blood. Yeah. But was, to an Indian... It's if, embarrassing for the same reason we can't have pancakes anymore. They don't want to promote that stuff.
1: So to yeah. me, it was, it was the same joke as if uh, Rachel Dolezal, for those of you who remember, she was the, the white woman who claimed she was black and was, and was pretending right. she was black. She was a chapter head of the NAACP or something. So if, so if, if Rachel Dolezal walked into the um, olive tree and I said, oh, look, Rosa Parks, <laughs> that the joke would mean not I'm making fun of Rosa Parks. I'm not making fun of black people. I'm making fun of this woman who has the nerve to claim that she's black. So that's, different. Right, right. So that's what the Pocahontas joke was, which was which, what which, 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 which Trevor knows. It. Now Kung flu is not that Kung flu is just a, a, a you know, a, a, an adolescent pun. It's uh, an adolescent pun from, from, from China. the president of
3: yeah. the United States. Leave the adolescent puns. Yeah, that's
1: right. But but I'm saying I'm not defending Trump. I'm saying I'm I'm saying why can't they report it? They they literally can't say it in the news, but they can show a man being murdered to death with a with a knee, a knee on his neck. Can you can you explain that to me? Yeah, ratings. <laughs> it's just yeah. that's it's true. That's anymore.
0: what it is, though. It is. It's all. It's not. It's all oh, advertisers nice. and quick. You know,
1: The media plays both sides of the coin. It's wokeness. It's not ratings. I think
3: it plays both sides of the coin. First, they don't print the name to show we're going to be really careful with this racist talk. But then they'll show the murderer and somebody kneeling on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds because people are
1: transfixed. To the TV, and the ratings are going up. Look, if, if they, if, I mean, I made this comment before, but how, if, 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 if Chauvin, was that the cop's name who killed uh, George Floyd? If he had yelled the N word while he was murdering this poor man, they would have bleeped out the N word. So for some, hate for crime too. And I'm saying, like, in their, in their dumb heads, it's worse to hear him say the N word than to watch him killing him. And, that-, and I, that just doesn't hold up. I'm sorry. It's strange. I agree. It's 100% strange. It's ridiculous. I'm so fed up with the, with the media. Who's been canceled? Who's been canceled this week, John? Well, you know who's been canceled. I don't know if you want to discuss it. Who? No, I know. If there's anybody we know, I don't want to
2: discuss it. Ted it's the is here. We I'm, I'm
0: giving you guys a very graceful out. Ted is here.
2: Oh. Okay, great. Uh, so send them in. A and, in. No, where you? A, anyway, we'll get to it. So send them in. We hear okay, Ted Lange. Ted, Ted oh, Lange. it's him. Hello, Ted. I, oh. oh, he's
1: had enough of us already.
2: That's it. He's, he's, <laughs> he's connecting to audio. Okay, Ted Lange, is that you? Yes, Ted. Hello. He's not. He, we're waiting
1: he's waiting for audio. I, the you know the, 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 the bandwidth out on the seas is a little. Hello, sir. Hello. Hey, how are you? Ted Lange, uh, for, I, you came into my
2: life about 43 years ago, and I thought it was Ted Lange until today.
4: Oh, well, there you go. So See? Today have I have
2: day. been uh, elucidated on the matter that it is Ted Lange, and just in time, too, because you're here. Thank you very much. And let me give you a proper introduction that our, uh, our producer, Periel, who you've spoken with or tweeted, texted with, has written for me but I'll say it with feeling in my own voice. Okay. Ted Lange personifies the Renaissance Man Theater Award received from the NAACP actor, director, <laughs> prolific writer, Lange, Lange penned 25 plays, including his Black Lives Matter play and Blues in My Coffee. And I neglected to mention Shakespeare on my shoulder, I believe it's called. Yes. Uh, And Blues in My Coffee, you can see on YouTube. We'll talk about- Both, Shakespeare and Blues, you can both see on YouTube. Shakespeare on my shoulder or over my shoulder? Shakespeare over my shoulder. Over my shoulder, I'm sorry about that. And Blues in My Coffee, we'll discuss those uh, a little bit later, but of course, first we're gonna discuss the reason that we first met, well, I met you, you didn't meet me, was, and Noam has put up a, a porthole as a virtual yeah, band. I
1: see that. We'll put a better one
2: up, but oh, go ahead, go ahead was a I thought band. it was
4: going to have alcohol behind it, but uh, we'll let that go
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I should have yeah was <laughs> it on the love, but actually, I did see you on the one train here in Manhattan about seven years ago. I didn't say anything, but I just said, I think that's him
4: you said he was there, yeah, that was probably me
2: so um. Now we're all, by the way, in show business. Ted Al um, is an actress and a and a, a novelist, not a novelist, a memoirist. Noam owns a comedy club that John Joseph and I both work at as comedians. John's been in several movies, um, small roles mostly, but but um, but not to be discounted. No, very true. <laughs> a gig is a gig. That's how I look at it. A gig is a gig. That's right. And John and I both work on cruise ships as comedians. We both. So we we're the real life. You know, cruise workers at times. Do you know
4: a uh, comedian named Jeff Wayne, by the way? He Jeff does a lot of cruise ships. I know the guy. You do? Yeah. Well, I did his one-man show, Big Daddy's Barbecue. No kidding. Yes, and we turned that into a pilot for ABC TV. And? Well, there's a lot of politics involved. <laughs> I got you. Okay? He's it should have gone. It should have gone, but, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, systemic stuff going on. And uh, the first thing they try to do, I don't know, uh, gentlemen, Noam and Dan uh, and Periel, Jeff is a white comedian, and he was doing very conservative material. Uh Uh-oh. And I uh, directed his comedy act into a one man show. And what I did was I, uh, I gave him a bottom line, a baseline. And, and what I did was I, I told him he couldn't tell certain jokes and I told him he could tell other jokes that, for instance, if he told a lesbian joke, uh, I would say, well, this isn't a good lesbian joke because lesbians will get mad. And he would say, but that's funny, it's a funny joke. I said, no, it's funny to you. And then I said, but then this joke over here, I said, I think this joke, lesbians will laugh at that joke and they won't get mad at you. Because <laughs> so they'll say, okay, yeah, da, 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 da. And so that's what I did. He had black jokes, Mexican jokes, a whole slew of stuff. I put together, so he was billed as the new Archie Bunker. Oh boy. Okay, this was sometime after uh, All in the Family was done, I think about 10, 10, 12 years. And uh, so we were on our way to doing it, but the first thing in the industry that happened was they tried to cut me out. Because I was a black guy with a white comedian doing conservative material. And what I told them, I said, look, you guys don't have a line. You cross the line all the time. You need me to show you where the line is. And they told me, they didn't need me. They, 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 and what line are you talking about? You know, that's what they told me. That's horrible. So uh, we had a shot at a good, strong possibility of becoming a weekly television show, but uh, they, they, they killed. They shot their own foot. Well,
1: how, how would you, how would you describe where the line is? Like, do you think if you look back at All the Family now, do you think they crossed the line? I think that the the genius of all of the families they had a liberal guy
4: playing a conservative. So, you know, I had friends that worked that show and Carol O'Connor and, and Norman Lear would butt heads. Cause uh Carol O'Connor would say, I can't no, I can't do that. You've got to give me a different joke. So Carol O'Connor was the line. Norman Lear was not the line. Carol O'Connor was the line. And he drew and um do you know the story about Cleavon Little being the original Sanford and Son? Sanford. I, no, I mean, the, liberal,
2: the original Sherman Helmsley role. No, no, no. no Sanford and Son. Oh, Sanford. I'm sorry. I was thinking uh, of uh, Blazing Saddles. Cleavon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah
1: right, Little. right, 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 right. And Richard Pryor was supposed to be Cleavon Little. Now, Cleavon Little was supposed to be uh, uh, Red Fox. No, he was supposed to be the son uh, of Lamont. 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 Oh, Lamont. Yeah. Lamont. Yeah.
4: So listen, here's what happened, and and this was tell you about the line, okay? Um, Cleavon is a big deal in New York. he just done Pearly. Norman Lear signs him. He said, I got a series for you. It's uh, it's about a father and son. It comes from England. It's called Steptoe and Son. I want to use you, and I got to find a guy to play your father. He's a junk man. And so Cleavon said, well, why don't you call Red Fox? He's funny. He does stand-up. We just did a movie together called Cotton Comes to Harlem, and he played a junk man. So then they went and got Red Fox uh, and signed him up. Norman Lear then goes to Cleveland and says, look, we want you to make an appearance on All In The Family and uh, to kind of promote that we're going to have you later on in the year as the son in Sanford and son. So he says, okay, so they do the gig. During the filming of uh, All in the Family, Cleavon plays a burglar.
2: Oh, I remember that, yeah, I remember that. And
4: with him is another black actor playing a burglar. And Carol O'Connor. So they were writing these jokes and Carol O'Connor says to Norman, listen, I, I, I don't like the idea of this bit here, this comedy. And, and Norman would say, well, no, that's funny. We, we want to do that. That's going to work really well, Carol. And they got into a, a back and forth. Okay. So Cleavon is in the dressing room. They're on a break. Cleavon is in the dressing room with this other actor. I see. And he said, hey, man, you know that what they're doing ain't right. That ain't right for black people, for us to be saying this. And he said, well, hey, I'm not the right. He said, yeah, but you're Cleavon Little. You should speak up. You should say something.
2: Wait, who was saying that to Cleavon?
4: Damone Wilson. Ta-da! Can you see my Damone oh, okay. Wilson he, is he... saying that Cleavon Little, yeah. who, has, who has a deal with Norman Lear, look, you should speak up about these black jokes. This in particular, the one that Carol O'Connor is saying. So Cleveland goes, eh, I don't know. So they get into the rehearsal. Oh, you found it. I found it. No, thank you very much. He so, stole part. Yes. <laughs> wow. So they're going around the table and Carol O'Connor says, I don't want to do this joke. I don't like this joke. I, don't, I think it's derogatory to black people. And Norman Lear turns to Cleavon Little and says, hey, what do you think of this joke? Does that work for you? Are you offended as a black person by this joke here? And Cleavon says, yeah, well, really I am. And I kind of agree with Carol O'Connor uh, that uh, I, I don't think we should do this joke. And so then he turns to Damone, Norman then turns to Damon and says, you agree with that? And and Damon Wilson said, no, I don't agree with that. I, that <laughs> joke doesn't bother me. I'm not offended by that. Uh,
1: that's a great and story. And
4: Cleavon said he, he looked at this dude and went, what?
1: <laughs> oh.
4: You know, what are you, are you kidding me? That And sounds the next noise. thing you know, Cleavon is out as the sun and Demone is in.
1: And and by the way, just to add to it for whatever, I haven't, I just, for some reason as a kid, I remember Damone used to be on the I believe on the 700 Club with Pat Robertson. He was quite a religious, like a born-again Christian. So, well, you,
4: you know what that was about, right? Do you know about him quitting show business?
1: No, I don't remember. Oh,
4: there's a book called, uh, what's the name? This is in a book. Uh, the Cotton Club Murders. Okay? Cotton Club Murders. And in this book, it talks about how uh, Robert Evans... Uh, got the rights to do the Cotton Club. You remember the movie, Francis Ford Coppola, Coppola, Cotton Club. Yeah. And so they get, he gets the rights. The guy that had the rights was Damone Wilson's manager. Mm. He had the rights. So they then uh, get the rights and they don't have the money. Now this is all in the book, so I'm not talking out of school. They go to a lady in florida who is a cocaine dealer and she gives robert evans the money okay so he says you're going to be financing the movie blah 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 blah. so she finds out she don't know nothing about show business she knows everything about drugs cotton club murders you're gonna you can find this book it'll back up what i'm getting ready to tell you so uh, the woman finds out about show that maybe she should get a title as executive producer since she's financing the film so she goes to Robert Evans and she says hey I want my name on there as a producer and, and Robert Evans says hey it will be fine with me but I, I don't have anything to do with it it's Damone Wilson's manager that you got to get him to say okay so she goes to the manager and says absolutely not no way You are just financing the movie. You are not a producer. I'm a producer. Bob Evans is a producer, but you're not a producer. And Francis Coppola is the director, and Gregory Hines is doing this and that. You're not in this. And so she said she wanted to be in it. So she goes back to Bob Evans. She said, hey, this guy, she says, well, you, you have to talk to the guy. You can't talk to me. So what happens is the guy, because she's a cocaine dealer, the manager guy starts to think, maybe they might try to kill me. And so he tells Damone, this is in the book by the way, she tells Damone and Damone said, don't worry, I got my gun here. Okay. And he had a pearl handle, nickel plated gun. So I got my gun here and I'll protect you. So he says, well, I gotta have to go, I'm gonna go to dinner with them on Friday. He says, well, I'll be there and I'll be in my car and I'll follow you to the restaurant. He says, okay. So the guys, these two men, henchmen of this cocaine dealer, go and get the manager guy, and they say, come on, we've got a limousine downstairs. So they go downstairs, get into the limousine, and he's staying in one of those apartments where they've got a curved driveway, Yeah. and the manager guy gets in the back of the thing, Damone is in his car. The limousine pulls out, and as Damone pulls out to follow them, another car comes in and blocks him, and he has to wait, and he can't get out. The car goes on. Finally, when the other car moves out, Damone goes up, out onto the road, and he can't find the limousine. So he goes on to the restaurant where they're supposed to meet at. And he's waiting at the restaurant. They took that, that limousine took that guy out to the desert and they put 13 bullets in his head. Jesus. Because it was Friday the 13th. The next day, Damone Wilson quit show business and became a reverend. That's how he got there wow wow that insane that's show business baby be <laughs> John that's show
2: business is there anything you know, Are there any stories that crazy involving the love boat by any chance
4: not as crazy as that no that's going that gets to be uh that's you know, Ted, too much. and see. the other show and the other story i told you damon told me that story on um on his deathbed i went and visited him uh he was he was in the process of, uh, he had cancer, and uh, so I told him, I said, listen, uh, uh, Cleavon, the reason I came out to Hollywood was because of you. I was in New York, I was writing a play, I wrote a play, and uh, I went over to Columbia Pictures Television, and they had a series called uh, Temperatures Rising, and they were looking for black writers because Cleavon was the star of Temperatures Rising. You may look for that one, Noam.
1: (laughs) Okay, I'm on it.
4: (laughs) All right, Temperatures (laughs) Rising. So Cleavon played a doctor. And so uh, Columbia Pictures Television said, well, we're looking for black writers. And I had done a play in New York, a one-act play that was quite popular at the time. They brought me in. I pitched a couple of ideas to them. And they said to me, Ted... You know, you're on Broadway doing Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death, but if you were in Los Angeles, we would introduce you to William Asher, who was the executive producer of the show, and we would, you know, we'd kind of get you in that way. There it is.
1: There we go. I'm sorry. (laughs) There it
4: is. Temperatures rising. Okay, yeah. So. I thought that was Judd Hirsch. It's not from, now that he's No, no, that's uh, James Whitmore. Yeah, yeah. Joan Van Ark. Anyway, so um, they told me that if I had been in, if I was in LA, they'd give me a gig, you know, as a as a staff writer. So I went into I was on Broadway doing a Broadway play called Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death. I went into the stage manager I said I quit. I'm giving you two weeks' notice. I said what? What? What are you doing? You know? said, so I quit. I'm out of here. So I then flew back after the two weeks. Of, I flew back to Los Angeles. And I called Columbia Pictures Television. I said, hey, I'm in Los Angeles. Let's arrange a meeting between me and Bill Asher. And they said, call us back tomorrow. I said, okay. So then I called back the next day and I I said, let me speak to uh, Patricia so-and-so. And And they said, well, she's out to lunch. I said, okay, Uh, call tomorrow. So I called the next day. I said, "Uh, can I speak to uh, Patricia? They said, no, she's out to lunch. And that's when I found out what the term out to lunch means when you're an actor. And you try to get something going, and you call the executive, and he's out to lunch. I called at 10 o'clock in the morning, I called at (laughs) noon, I called at one, I called at four o'clock in the afternoon. From that point on, that woman vanished. She was no longer around, she was out to lunch. And there I was, I had picked up all my stuff, Come to LA because I thought I could meet the executive producer and become a writer on this new T V series, Temperatures Rising.
1: So, so I I we have a lot of love questions. I just have one question for you, going back to the all in the family thing and Cleveland Little. It's all very interesting and it and it's it, it we were actually talking about this stuff. So it seems to me that you um, you can see a line in jokes based on the intention of the joke. This is a little bit too mean. This is, you know, uh, this is too cruel, whatever it is that internally, uh, makes you think that's where the line is crossed. But it seems like today, um, we, we don't allow for the intention of the joke anymore. There's certain, there's certain words that can't be said, which will end. And, um, for that reason, I think the jokes that you thought were on the, okay side of the line and all in the family and and blazing saddles for instance where my god they use the n-word all the time um this well that was
4: before you got you 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 have to put things in the context of the time
1: right well that's what i want to ask you the
4: context of the time when blazing saddles was going on is listen we're going to eat a plate of beans and we're going to fart on the screen well at that time you can do that
1: Right. So, you what, know, do you th- do you do you think that we you think we're in a better time now in terms of humor, or would you or would you like to go back to the time where you just judged? No, no, no. We're in a time. better
4: time. We're in a better time because okay. yeah. now you're not going to call me certain names that I don't want to hear, and you're not going to tell me stories that I really don't want to hear. That happened to me at ABC TV. <laughs> I was sitting with the president of ABC TV. On a, a, we were uh, uh, doing a a, a special uh, thing. Uh, uh, They would use the boat to do special ABC TV events. And I'm sitting next to the president of ABC. And uh, he says, Ted, we really love you on the show. You're doing a wonderful job. You know, so, so I got a joke for you. And his wife said, Fred. Don't tell that joke. I up, Fred. <laughs> okay? And so, he says, no, 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 tell the like this joke. I said, no, it's okay, you don't have to tell me the joke. He says, no, 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 you, you're gonna like this joke. I said, no, you, you, you don't have to tell me the joke, it's okay. Cause I knew now, when the wife said, don't tell that joke, and he had had a couple of drinks, we're sitting at the table, I'm the only black guy at the table, And she's saying, Fred, I don't think you should tell that joke. Oh, no, no, no. So he never told the joke. Okay? Years later, I wrote a play about uh, four black women and his son, Richard. His son, no, 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 that's Silverman. This was Pierce.
1: Oh, sorry. (laughs) Go ahead.
4: (laughs) Yeah, this was Pierce. So I wrote a show called Four Queens, No No Trump. Four Queens, No Trump, and we were going to turn it into a half-hour sitcom. And Richard Pierce, his son, came down to see the show. He loved the show. He came eight times to see the show. And he came to me. He said, Ted, my daddy has a deal. We're going to make this into a TV series. I love it. I said, okay, great. He says, "Uh, we're going to bring my dad down on Saturday night to see the show, because he wants to see it before. He came down, packed theater. Equity waiver, 99 seats in Los Angeles, the Valley, White Fire Theater, packed theater. People are laughing their butts off. And at intermission, he comes out and he says, "Uh, Ted, my wife isn't feeling well, it's kind of stuffy in there, we're gonna go. I went, okay. And then Richard, his son, came back to me and said, "We, my father, doesn't want it. He doesn't like the thing." Now, why? He didn't like it because what? The 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 audience. He's sitting there. You you're doing a demographics of the audience. The audience was laughing. Of course, primarily it was black women in the audience, but still, it was a valid. It was they they were enjoying the show. There was no reason to not give this a shot. Unless you are pissed off that maybe you didn't tell this guy a joke uh, eight years before. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's not true.
1: But does that that's I, that my to, Does that mean I have to listen to John Joseph's jokes now?
2: Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it means. But you never found out what the joke was.
1: It was no, probably I a Jewish have-
2: joke.
4: <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have to find out. You know what the joke was? It was something where the black guy is the punchline. Being black is the punchline. That's what the joke is. What are you talking about? So that's
1: so. Let me get so to be clear to get your record. So you so you don't you think All in the Family doesn't age well? Then you 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 would you think that? No, you should...
4: I think All in the Family does age well. Okay. But I think there's a balance, and part of the balance was Carol O'Connor. I, I mean, Norman Lear's taking all the bows, but he had a wall. All to bounce his ideas off of, you know, and I think that's very important. I, uh, for instance, uh, the play, you saw blues in my coffee,
1: right? Did you guys see it? Ariel probably did. Ariel, you did. It's the cultural one. And
4: did you see it? That was your homework assignment. <laughs> your homework assignment was to see Ted Lange's play blues in my coffee. Cause oh. it was going to come up. Okay. <laughs> so I wrote this play blues in my coffee. And in it, I said some things where I called uh, women bitches. I said, well, you know, and that's from my generation of being black in Oakland, California in the 60s. We say, that's a fine-ass bitch. Now, th- that means she's a beautiful woman. That's what I grew up in. That's a fine-ass bitch. That bitch is fine. Okay. Now, some women don't want to be called bitches. They don't hear the fine ass part. They just hear the bitch part. Okay? So I sent this play out to one of my favorite actors. And uh, I said, uh, and he loves, he's done a half dozen of my plays. And I sent this play out to him. But he's a younger guy. He's in his 30s, late 30s, early 40s. He said, Ted, I can't do this play. I said, why not? He said, because, man, you you talk about women. You're I don't I don't talk about women the way you do in this play, and I don't want to play this character because of the way you talk about women. I don't want to do that. Now this guy's my favorite actor. I'm coming from a different generation. So I say, well, what would you say? He said, I'd say something like this. I said, okay, that's what you say. Because I want that actor. I'm living in a different generation. So his line is different than my line, okay? He's not gonna call a woman a bitch, you know, fine ass or not. <laughs> yeah, but you know? you're, but
1: you're, but yours is your playing it, yours is truer to real life to a character as that people actually. Yeah, t- but that's
4: not the point. The point is that some the the generation that I want to get in there now is offended by the term bitch. Yes. Now, if if I'm just playing to you know 1969 uh, audience, that's a different deal. But no, I'm trying to do things. So no, I had to. I have to articulate myself differently. Now some some writers don't want to do that. So in my blues play, I have a line where a black guy says to uh, a black woman, he says, "Oh, you think you the shit, don't you?" just cuz you went to a white college and you got yourself a piece of paper with some white man's name on it you think you the shit well i had the actor say i don't i don't jesus ted i don't want so i changed it so i said so i changed the writing oh you think you're the holy grail of women well just cuz you got went to it didn't it didn't defer it, you know it didn't take away anything i just had to find another way on how to deliver the joke you think you're the holy, and that's actually better the holy grail once you get into the mythology of what the holy grail is it's actually a better joke it's a much more intellectual joke so you think you're the holy grail because some white guy gives you a piece of paper with their name on it you know well that's that's the art that is what if we are comedians we don't you're not supposed to make it easy on us because we have to reflect society through a comedic vein. So yeah, they're harder on us, yes. But if you're funny, you're funny, and you'll find another line. You'll rewrite it, you'll work it another
2: way to get your point over. What do you think about people going back in time and finding something you did 10, 15, 20 years ago when standards might have been more, would have been different and judging you today, by what you might have done in a different time. I think it's great. <laughs> Pull them goddamn
4: statues down.
1: <laughs>
4: you know, I mean, come on, these guys, these guys, you know, you know what they say, Dan? They say that who, whoever wins the war writes the history books. You heard that? Yeah.
2: Well, it's not
4: true for the South.
2: Well, I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about it. You no,
4: know, but that's that's part of what's going on. It's something that their grandparents did or their great-grandparents did, and then now they're saying, well, I didn't do it. Why are you getting mad at me? Well, because you perpetuated it. You know, you got Rand Paul in there right now won't pass a lynching law because his relatives have probably lynched somebody somewhere along the line, and he knows I'm not passing it. What he's got, he came up with some. Can I, can I curse on this show?
2: Yeah, this is the internet. You can do anything.
4: Okay, he came up with some bullshit about what lynching means. I don't understand what lynching means. Everybody understand what lynching means. Get the fuck out of here. You're telling me you don't know what lynching is? And you're going to hold up a lynching bill by two black people because you're from Kentucky and you don't want your relatives to get in trouble? Get the hell out of here. And so he comes up with a lie. That's what's going on in the streets right now. you got to stop lying. And you got to come with the truth. you got to come with the truth, man. Because these people, have, they've been fed the bullshit for so long, they've had it. Right. That's why they're pulling down. Andrew Jackson was an abomination to the uh, American Indian, the Native American. He was an abomination. He put smallpox in blankets and told them to walk over here to Oklahoma. Come on, man. So the Indians, I know Indians that won't even, if you give them a $20 bill, they give it back and ask for two tens. You know? So come on. Let's, let's be real about this. You did something 10 years ago you shouldn't have did? So did Brett Kavanaugh. He did something 10 years ago he shouldn't have done. But what did they do? The white boys got behind him and pushed him through. But, they, but he left a girl traumatized to this day. She is traumatized, and she got on television and showed you her trauma. And he, and because, you know, when you lie, you get dry mouth. He's sitting up there lying, drinking a ton of water, a gallon of water. No, yeah. Uh, 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 if you did something 10 years ago, we, if I did something 10 years ago I shouldn't have done, I'm paying for it. Whether I want to or not, man,
1: I'm paying for it. What about Thomas Jefferson? On what about side. him? Sally Hemings. You who know who got, Sally Hemings was? Yeah, I know who she he, he was. Who, who, she who was, was Sally Hemings? Sally Hemings was his, his, uh, his slave that was also his lover, and they had, a, they had children together. And you know who else she was? Um, no. She was a
4: half-sister to his wife.
1: Half-sister oh. to his wife? I didn't know
4: that. So the father, who is Martha Jefferson's father... Screw the slave girl. The product is now, she's now related to Martha Jefferson. So Martha, Je- Martha Jefferson, on her deathbed, she says to Thomas, I want you to never marry. Don't marry again. And he's looking over there at Sally Hemingway and says, okay, baby, I'm never going to marry again. And then he hooks up with his wife's half-sister, Sally Hemings and has babies galore. You know? So right. yeah, I mean, he, so I'm not want, saying he didn't do good things. He did great things. I mean, he wrote he wrote one of the definitive things, but let's be real about this. You know, if some, if you work with someone, sometimes I'm I'm watching television and uh, I say, geez, my wife said, gee, that guy is a great actor. I say, Yeah, but he's an asshole. Okay? Well that's a true so would, that's a truism. Would you take down you know, Thomas know, you can be a great actor but you can also be an asshole or you can be a great guy. And all people are doing now is calling you on your shit.
1: Anyway, anyway Dan was asking about all, um, you know, old shows in context, but the 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 statue thing is quite interesting now. Would you take but would you leave Thomas would you limit it to the Confederacy or would you take down Thomas Jefferson as well, George Washington?
4: Well, you know, uh uh What's wrong with a museum? What? Why do we have museums? You know, put them in. Put them in a museum. You know, put Robert E. Lee in a museum, although Robert E. Lee was a traitor. You know, put them in a museum. And, and see, this is the other thing. They, they, the, the, the Southerners have. They called it Yankee aggression. It had nothing. The war had nothing to do with slavery. It was a, It was Yankee aggression. You know. So. Uh, they rewrote the the history books on that one so that now, uh, you know, the the younger Southerners that come along, they'll tell you in a heartbeat that it had nothing to do with slavery, you know? And then you had all of these, the the real myth is how did they get young Southern boys, white boys, who didn't own any slaves to fight? They knew what it was about, you know? It's like... uh, a young Republican with no money. How do they get those guys every time to vote Republican?
1: You know? How, the other side of that, though, how did they get the young white boys in the North to go to their deaths to free the slaves? Well, that, that's altruistic. That's a different but we, deal. But we don't, but we, we seldom, that's, that. They were they were
4: fighting for a cause in which they freed someone, not right. where they kept someone in
1: bondage. Right. So so that's that's what that is one thing that I that I that bothers me about the way we discuss this because for instance, I've said before, the Nazis, if the German people had themselves risen up and 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 defeated the Nazis on their own. I think that we would view the Germans uh, in a, in, in, a, in an admiring way in a certain sense. They're like, yeah, they had this evil in, in them and they rose up and they extinguished this evil. And I think that that's a fair way to view the Civil War as well, if that's what happened. I'm no expert on it. But if the North, if it was a war to end slavery and and people sent their sons to, to go die to end slavery, especially in those days, um, in those days when even the, the most far far forward-looking person was kind of racist, probably also. Um, then that's well, they is, had that, riots in New York because some yeah. guys didn't want to go. Right. So, but that's but all right. But that's a story in Vietnam. We had that too. But that's a story of um, that's a great American story in in a sense. And we we do have a right to be proud of that side of it. And we don't we don't actually talk about that. We still view another no, one, they, And they should no. I agree with you that they should.
4: There are heroes in us, and the only way you find that out is if you find books. You know, like uh, Joseph Plum—I forget the guy's last name—in the he was in the American Revolution. But he, you know, that there, there are great northern stories. But you've got to propagate those. Whereas the c- Confederates did a concerted effort to uh, point the. Um, to rewrite what they felt was a misrepresentation of their history. Yeah. I mean, you look at it now. You talk about the Nazis rising up. We got people in cages on the border, yeah, and, and and, and uh, 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 Joel Austin and T.J. Jakes. None of those guys, religious guys, that said, "Hey, I don't think that's a good idea." You got you got people in cages. Because they want all they want to do is immigrate here, like my granddaddy did. You know, let's let's get those people out of the cages. And the girls in the cages are turning up pregnant, which means the guards are having their way with them. And they pass some kind of ruling where the guards cannot be persecuted for anything that goes on in those camps. So you know, you, you know, we talk about what happened with the Nazis and how could the people. Lean toward Nazis. How could all those Germans lean towards Nazism? I look at uh, uh, those cages and I say, How can we put Latino boys, girls, mothers, fathers in cages and it be all right? And not not one religious leader stand up and go against that. That's inhumane, and it's fascinating to me that they don't stand up and say something. Joel Austin, how can he even walk out to a pulpit and and take your money and not put it in to relief for those kids? You know? Come on, man. You're supposed to be a man of God Mm -hmm. unless you're not really. Unless he's
3: a man of money.
4: Yeah, unless he's a man. He's uh, worshiping another symbol and it ain't a cross. Yeah, that's right. Come on.
1: What, Dan, what about Gavin McLeod? I know you had some. Know you, had well, some. you know, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, we, we, we got off on some interesting uh, topics that I hadn't anticipated, but interesting nonetheless. I, I just wanted to um, address your point about Northerners going to war for altruistic reasons. I think in any war, uh, people go to war for their own reasons. And no two soldiers. You know, I was in Iraq doing shows for the troops and uh, about 10 years ago. And I, I asked many of them, why are you here? And a couple of them said because they believed in the cause that that were there supposedly were there for. They believed in in bringing democracy to Iraq. Uh, others said they needed the money. Others said they thought it was something cool and interesting to do. And so I think in the case of the Civil War, every soldier had their own reason. Uh, whether it's because they wanted to prove that they were brave, they thought they looked good in a uniform and impressed the ladies. They. They had maybe they believed in the cause. Maybe they just thought they'd be considered cowards if they didn't go, um, and they'd be considered heroes if they did go. So I don't think we can say what what each person goes to war for. And of course, we knew we know that many people in the North um, were, were probably as racist as 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 a slave owner would be in the South, and and they just went to war for for whatever reason. That, you know that that you'd have to ask them, but.
4: Well, what? yeah, well, the, the, the whole thing about uh, uh, having an army, I mean, I remember uh, uh, some of the people in my family who had gone to prison or gone to jail, if they went into the army, they could clean their slate. Did you know this? Back in the 60s, the Vietnam War, if you want to clean your slate, if you, if you were in, living in the South and you were black and you, you didn't have shoes on your feet, you'd go into the army. You know, you got three good meals a day, you know, you learn how to shoot a rifle. So there's a lot. I'm, I'm not questioning that. I'm talking about the politics of what then each country or each society says. Well, here's what we're doing, you know. But I agree with you. There's a thousand and one reasons why you go into the service to fight. I, I'm from uh, Oakland, California, and uh, they tried to get me to join to go over and fight in Vietnam, and I wasn't going to go. And there were, you know what I mean? There were a lot of uh, 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 dissenters at that time um, that we were saying, hey, uh, you remember Muhammad Ali talking about this, you know? Right, yeah. I well, he, 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 no no he, he ever called me the N-word. Word. That's what Muhammad Ali said. So I'm not going over there to kill them, you know? And Spike Lee's got a, a new movie out uh, about uh, some black vets going back to Vietnam, and that's the real irony of this thing is you, you then, you know, like uh, we fought World War II, Japan attacked us. And now you go over to Japan, uh, spend your money and get Kobe beef. And now you can go to Vietnam and it's a tourist attraction. People died in those, you know, and that's within my lifetime. You know, that thing, that thing changed really fast. So yeah, the, the, who makes the money on the wars? You know, who makes the money? I had a, I had a vet tell me that uh, Lady Bird Johnson had a cement company and she was shipping cement to Vietnam so they could build um, air, air, airplane strips, air, you know, for planes to land. And so Johnson made money off of the war. His wife made money off of the war. And there's always been, a, you know, some kind of a, a scheme or an angle on on war. Uh, I remember when Ronald Reagan wanted to to finance Iran-Contra. You remember that? The Iran-Contra scandal? Ooh. And they, they got all of the, they, they snuck cocaine, Ali North snuck cocaine into Los Angeles and put it in the ghetto. That's how you got crack cocaine. Because they took that money and financed the Iran Contra, you remember that? Mm-hmm. I did a movie called Wattstacks, and it was just before the cocaine epidemic, and everything was looking rosy. And me and the, the director, a guy named Mel Stewart, he and I, we did a couple of uh, uh, screenings of the movie. It was like the 25th anniversary, and people were asking us about being in, asking me about being in Wattstax. At that point, Richard Pryor couldn't talk anymore because of his disease. He was in the movie also. I was in the movie, Watts Stacks," and I had a kind of a showy part. And so we, we talked about it. And one of the things Mel Stewart said that I didn't realize, he said, this was the, the feeling among people in Watts was before crack cocaine hit the neighborhood, you know? And there was a lot of optimism uh, about where we were going. And then uh, Iran-Contra hitting, and they, that was the end of that. You know, people were afraid to come out of their houses because the the kids were running around with guns and shooting everybody and selling dope. What else you guys want to talk about that's well, funny?
1: Know, I, have question. <laughs> I, have question. I have a question. I mean, uh, um, Muhammad Ali, so, it, you know, he was very fond of the uh, impersonation that Billy Crystal did of him. Yeah. Uh, and Billy Crystal did it with makeup from time to time. So I'm yeah. wondering, so I'm wondering where, where what your stand is there on this whole. Um,
4: I wasn't crazy about it. Let I'm me show through. you something, though. Yeah. You guys watching? Can you watch? Can you see yeah. this? Yeah, yeah.
1: You oh, know who there that guy he is. is
4: in that picture? Yeah, it's Muhammad Ali. That's Muhammad Ali. He's drawing on a napkin. Yeah. That's what he drew. Oh, wow. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Oh. I had dinner with him. I had, dinner with it. I had dinner with Muhammad Ali. A friend of mine wrote uh, the movie Ali. Remember the movie about Ali? Uh, the one that he starred in or the one that Will Smith was in? The Will Smith one. And uh, he wrote that movie. And so I was in D.C. And I'm with Fred Grandy. And uh, Fred Grandy, who played Gopher, we'll get a little Love Boat stuff in here. Anyway. <laughs>
2: So I'm in
4: D.C. and I call up my friend. His name is Greg Howard. He also wrote uh, Remember the Titans. And he also wrote Harriet, about Harriet Tubman. So I called him. I said, hey, Greg, how you doing? He says, hey, man, you want to come have dinner with me? I said, oh, I'm supposed to have dinner with Fred Grandy. He says, well, I'm having dinner with Muhammad Ali. You sure you don't want to have dinner with us? And I said, oh, man.
1: (laughs) Sorry, Fred. (laughs)
4: I said, uh, no, I got I got to have dinner with Fred, but I sure wish I could be there. He said, well, wouldn't Fred like to meet Muhammad Ali? And I went, yeah, he would. (laughs) So I said, "Okay." So I said, he said, we'll be there. He gave me the name of the restaurant, told me what time to get there. I said, we'll be there. So I call up Fred and I say, hey, Fred, I got a restaurant for us to go to. He says, okay, all right, sure. You sure you don't want to go to, no, no, no. I got a better restaurant, and I have a surprise guest for you. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I got somebody I think you're going to want to meet at this restaurant. So he goes, uh, uh, okay, all right, sure. So we go to the restaurant. We get. Let's say the dinner was at 8 o'clock. So we get there at 8 o'clock. And about 10 after 8, so it's me, Greg Howard, and uh, Fred, the three of us. And so he says, well, where's the guy, who's the surprise guest? And he said, uh, so I said, don't worry, he's coming. And Greg said, don't, yeah, he'll be here. And Fred said, oh, you guys are pulling my legs. No, no, we're not gonna. I said, it's gonna be someone you really want to meet. And so about 8.20, he says, oh, come on, man. Where is this guy? Who is this person? What's going on here? I said, don't worry. He's coming. Right, Greg? He said, don't worry. He's coming. Well, about 8.30, Muhammad showed up. And he walked into the restaurant, and everything stopped. It was the most amazing. Literally, it was that. <laughs> you know? And everyone, the whole, And he worked his way from the front door, shaking hands, saying hello to people as he came around the restaurant and he stopped at our table and he sat down. And my friend, friend Greg, Fred Grandy went, what? <laughs> Muhammad Ali? And we had one of the great dinners of all time. Me, Fred Grandy, Muhammad Ali.
1: Dan, you got 38 seconds left? I, I, I met Muhammad Ali one time very quickly. He was already sick by, by, at that point. And, but yet... It was he was pure charisma. I, yes. I, I've never seen anything like this, you know. Yes. And and that story you tell about everything stopping. Uh, the only time I ever saw something like that was when Prince, you know, the, the Prince the rock star, uh, walked into the our club years ago, and everything stops. And I don't know how to explain that. Just the presence of certain people in the room, yeah, it, it takes over everything. Yeah. And that's not all celebrities. I mean, it's among, you know, this only... Well, I, can, I can vouch for that. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I, I walk in a restaurant, I look for it to stop.
1: It doesn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> what
4: the hell but I Ali was what like that. Oh, here's a story real quick. Uh, I had to do a pageant in um, Philadelphia, uh, Black America pageant, okay? Miss Black America. And so there's a bunch of celebrities. All of us were walking out and we had to walk uh through this uh thing like the basketball it was like on a basketball court and we had to walk out towards this stage and as we walked out i saw all of the there were women on the left and there were women on the right and they were screaming my name they're going teddy teddy and they're going we love you teddy and i went oh man Uh this love boat thing is Pretty good. We love you. We want you. I want you, Teddy. Teddy, Teddy. And I went, oh, that's pretty good. And then I heard his voice said behind me, because there was a girl in a gold lame dress who was gorgeous. And she says, Teddy, I love you the most. And I heard a voice behind me say, thank you, Goldie. And I turned around, and it was Teddy Pentagrass. Oh. <laughs> you mean that was... That wasn't for me. That was for this six foot two.
2: We've all been there, and, and, and
4: I'm five seven, and I'm going on, and I'm di- and I, I mean, d- directly behind me, so I'm getting all the love.
2: Now that that reminds me of the time Mari uh, Mari in high school. I won't mention last names. waved to me, and I waved back, and then I looked behind me, and it was somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, cool. so we got to wrap it up soon, John. You wanted to say something. Uh, I just wanted to say something
3: uh, to Ted about, about Muhammad Ali. Listen, all of us entertainers work with a million stars. Uh, you do movies, you do whatever. You're always running into everybody. The comedy seller, everybody and their brother walks in that's a celebrity. So we're kind of, you get immune to it. I was doing a show in the year, about year 2000. I was at the Paris Hotel in Las Vegas. I'm opening for Julio Iglesias. Mm. I'm going to do my sound check. Julio comes down with me in the elevator. He walks by a couple of people. Oh, Julio Iglesias. He was really hot then and stuff. And I said, well, that's pretty typical. And then I look and there's a crowd of people just in this beautiful circle, six, seven deep in between the elevator banks. Wow. And somebody's standing in the middle of that circle. I can't figure out what's going on. So I don't want to be late to my sound check, but I'm trying to dig my face in. And there's Muhammad Ali with the worst Parkinson's, his hands shaking like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He's got an assistant next to him helping him out. Yeah. And he's signing autographs for everybody in that lounge. But I'm telling you, I stood at that elevator and looked at him like this.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't move. The man yeah.
3: the most charisma I've ever seen from a human being. Ever. Yes,
4: absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to tell you something else. Um he did a thing to Fred Grandy where he would take his fingers and put it by your ear and make this sound. I don't know if you've ever seen him do that. If you if you catch some of the documentaries, you'll see him do it. That was his favorite thing. But right. what he did was he sat there. We were all sitting at the table, and he's shaking from the Parkinson's. Right. But then he, when Fred turned just a certain way, he would throw his hand out, do this little thing with his finger, and then pull it back. Amazing, he could still do it. He could, Now could he still do it, he understood the human anatomy to the point where it was like throwing a punch. He knew when you, you know, just where your body was and how to, and I, and I marveled at it, and Fred never caught him. And I had to tell Fred when we were driving away, he says, where was that sound coming from? Because we, we said, we were all laughing, and Muhammad said, you know, don't tell him. And he did it all through dinner. But he was—he was one of—he was our Superman. Yeah. he know? was. As Absolutely. As soon as black folks get a Superman, first thing they do is they try to cut him down or kill him. Oh. You know.
2: So all right. uh, we gotta go. We have to go, Ted. But uh, thank you so much for a very, uh, far more uh, interesting than I anticipated discussion.
4: Okay, I just want to say this. I would like your fans to go to YouTube, go uh, type in my name, and then type in the names of my plays Shakespeare Over My Shoulder or Blues in My Coffee. I need to get some hits. I promise them some fun comedy. And your homework assigned for the next time I see you two guys is
2: oh, by the way, Ted, we saw your plays. I'll do
1: it. I'll do it.
2: All right. Well, we will. Uh, you can, you can uh, email us at podcast at com for any comments, questions, suggestions, what have you. John Joseph, great seeing you again, buddy. Great. When are you back out to sea again, John? When are they starting up again? What is, the boats? Yeah, the boats. What year is this? 2020, <laughs> 2020 I believe.
3: Hey,
4: John, I'm going to tell Jeff Wayne I saw you. Yeah, tell him I send my love okay definitely
1: I think around around october 1st okay guys my wife hasn't been able to okay. yell or belittle anybody for an hour I have to Ariel go Arielle has to go to a show okay everybody so
0: bye everybody john where can we find your work or you uh
3: you can find me at the comedy Cellar uh as soon as it opens okay uh, otherwise go to johnjosephcomic.com, and you can see my schedule that is now eliminated so that'll be fun. <laughs> All righty. Ted,
0: thank you so much. You're wonderful, and we're thank so you. happy to have pleasure you. Pleasure
4: to meet you, Ted. All right, my oh, pleasure, John. John. thank you,
0: Ted. Okay, yeah. we'll see thank you
4: next time. Thank you so All much. All right, see you guys later. Thank you so much. Take care.
0: Thank you, and you can follow us on Instagram at Live From The Table.